I am Jan Scruggs, uh, founder of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and I'm here today with uh, Mr. Bill Jane, one of the most interesting people I've met in my life. Uh, we met through accident uh, years ago, but he was uh, a Marine at the Battle of Quezon, or you know, the besiegement of Quezon, which went on from January through July 1968, and. Uh, it involved about 6,000 U.S. troops, and we had over 24,000 sorties flown by U.S. aircraft. Uh, the battle uh, the, the, over those days caught us, cost us over 500, about 500 Marines, and uh, it was uh, quite a, a news story at the time, and General Westmoreland felt that this would help turn the tide of the war, uh, but uh, didn't quite do that. But Bill, tell me, what was your role? I guess you were a rifleman or were you an engineer? What was your role in the, at Quezon? I, I was a, a rifleman uh, with uh, Bravo Company, 1st Battalion, 26 Marines. Uh, and um, our battalion that, uh, you know, unusual for the Marine Corps at that time, we had been in Quezon uh, since about June of 67. Uh, battalions ended up getting moved around an awful lot, but our battalion just stayed there. But, uh, you know, we were one of, um, um, the, the entire regiment was there plus another battalion. So, uh, there were four battalions of Marines there, um, a small Arvin unit, Rangers, and a special forces unit, um, how often were did the enemy attack you with artillery and mortars? Well, during the Tet Offensive of 1968, the, when you know the the siege occurred from January through March uh, into March of 68, uh, we took incoming every day um, regularly. I think uh, the peak was about um, over. 1,300 rounds on one day in February. Uh, the weather was often bad. Uh, so that seemed like when they were really trying to get close, um, the North Vietnamese were digging trenches uh, toward our lines and uh, had made some uh, determined efforts to try to take some of the hill outposts that we had. Um, yeah. And uh, never really did mount a major assault on the combat base itself, but uh, looks like they were getting ready for it. So what would happen when you went out on a patrol, maybe two or 300 yards from your the fire base on the other side of the barbed wire? How often would you run into enemy soldiers waiting to ambush you? Well, not very often, but when it happened, it was... Um, you know, really, a, um, kind of a pitched battle. They they were they were not going anywhere. Um, on February twenty fifth, um, a platoon from my company, uh, the third platoon, Bravo Company, was doing one of these. Uh, we called them line of sight patrols. They were supposed to stay within a line of sight of our own lines, mm -hmm. and um, also looking for a um, North Vietnamese uh, FO, forward observer for mortars uh, that they, uh, intelligence thought was out there. 
and they got off of their uh, prescribed track for that patrol, uh, our third platoon, and ended up between um, North Vietnamese uh, trench lines and uh, virtually wiped out. And um, my um, two squads from my platoon uh, were mounted up as a reaction force. And we went out there not really knowing what was going on. Uh, no one did. It was very chaotic. And um, we never reached third platoon. We were ambushed before we got there. And uh, the decision was made um, to, and how high up, I don't know, uh, if it went to the regimental headquarters or could have gone all the way to the White House, I guess. You know, the stories were that uh, President Johnson had a sand table of uh, caisson in the basement of the White House and so on for briefings. But anyway, the decision was made to pull us back in and uh, left more than 25 Marines out there. Um, guys in our, um, at, you know, the Quezon Veterans Association, the kind of reunion group that ended up pulling itself together over the years, um, that action became known as the Ghost Patrol. I see. Now, did you lose any people? Have you were you with them when they were shot or died? Yeah, we lost um, uh, three guys in my uh, squad were killed, and uh, the, of the rest of us, I think all but two were wounded. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, chaotic. Um, and um, the decision was made fairly quickly, I think, uh, you know, within an hour or two for everybody to just pull back and come back inside the wire that the, they were not going to send out more reinforcements to try to recover the dead and, uh, because, um, you know, they couldn't take the chance of uh, uh, risking the uh, loss of the combat base. Okay, fast forward out of Quezon, uh, very uh, amazing story of uh, sacrifice and courage and uh, everything else. I met you in Washington, D.C. You get, became involved. We had a huge controversy over the design of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and uh, it was uh, seen as very avant-garde. It, that was the easy thing to say. Other people felt very strongly about it, that it was designed intentionally to insult the Vietnam War, political statement and so forth. But uh, there were reasonable voices there. So we agreed to add a traditional element to the memorial, which was a statue of three servicemen. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience in building the memorial? Well, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, um, God had his hand on my shoulder again. Uh, we, um, we met um, very early on when you were really just trying to recruit um, people to help. Um, you would just more or less had the idea, gotten started with a few guys. I think uh, Jack Wheeler and Bob Dubeck were already on board. Uh, you had um, incorporated the Memorial Fund, uh, but uh, still only had about, what was it, $144 in the bank to get it started. 
Yes. um, But anyway, yeah, I worked for a big uh, trade association, the Associated General Contractors of America. And um, in those days, you know, you had one phone number for the whole office and uh, a lady operated the switchboard and sent the calls to the appropriate office. And you called more or less a cold call looking for public relations help, I think. And um, the guy that you were trying to reach had left and gone on to another job. And uh, the lady operating the switchboard uh, decided to put the call through to me. And so, uh, you know, you told me what you were up to and everything. I'd read a little bit about it. And uh, so I said, well, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'd like to hear more about it. And you invited me to a meeting. And uh, so I was I was blessed to be able to help out a little bit early on with the uh, public affairs. Uh, and uh, and then um, by the time the controversy came around, um, I was working for the federal government in a volunteer program called the Vietnam Veterans Leadership Program and not terribly active in the uh, Memorial Fund anymore because of, uh, you know, there were like two different missions. And, uh, but um, the, the president, I guess, or the chair of the Memorial Fund at that time, Jack Wheeler, yes. was also my boss at the leadership program. And uh, so he called on me and three others to be on a uh, panel that would recommend a uh, uh, representational, traditional type of statue and uh, placement of the statue and a flagpole uh, and inscription uh, to the Memorial Fund as, as a compromise to make sure that we could get it built, we could get approval uh, from uh, Secretary of the Interior to go ahead and start building. And um, and that was a great experience. There were four of us, uh, two opponents of the uh, design and two supporters. Uh, one of the opponents was on the panel was Jim Webb, the you know, noted uh, author and uh, later U.S. Senator and so on. Uh, and... Um, you know, we came together, I think the four on the group, uh, ultimately I felt like, you know, I, I was excited by the uh, compromise that we came up with. Uh, I didn't necessarily think it was needed, uh, but uh, once uh, we got this idea from Rick Hart, the sculptor, I said, yeah, this, will, this is good. This is a, this is a, will help. It will help, I think, make, um, the mission of the uh, Memorial Fund, uh, the mission of the memorial to honor those who died and to remember the service of, of all, uh, make it more accessible to people. Yeah, the statue has been a great success and uh, the memorial itself, it gets over 5 million visitors a year. That's a, a fairly incredible number. From there, Bill, you're you became a part of the VA cemetery system and there are how many VA cemeteries about in our country? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. I wish I'd looked that up. That keeps getting more and more. There are about 150. When I started working for the cemeteries in uh, uh, 
1990, I guess it was, uh, I think we had something like 114. But um, the Congress uh, and the administrations, um, um, you know, without exception, have supported the cemeteries for the last 20, 25 years and said, your mission is to expand. You've got to meet the the needs of veterans where they are now. So we ended up building a lot of cemeteries uh, in places like Florida and, um, you know, in Texas and uh, places where people have moved to the Sun Belt and also in the North because the cemeteries historically were an artifact of the Civil War. So most of them were um, in the South. So consequently, you know, there weren't cemeteries in places like uh, Chicago or Detroit or Cleveland and, and so on. Um, out West, uh, Oregon, uh, Washington State. And so we ended up building a lot of cemeteries and we also built uh, a lot of uh, state-owned veteran cemeteries. And uh, I ran a grant program for several years where we gave grants to states. Uh, they provided the land and they provided the operating uh, support for the cemeteries, and we provided the uh, money to build them. And that was a exciting, interesting job where I got to meet uh, lots and lots of veterans around the country and uh, find you know, interesting history and so on in places like uh, out of the way places like Caribou, Maine, and uh, Saipan. <laughs> Saipan, yeah. yeah. Places like that. So that was a very interesting job, and uh, I felt great about it. You know, it uh, um, worked with the general contractors, so I knew a lot about construction, of course, uh, commemoration with the memorial, uh, and then, you know, just honoring veterans and meeting the needs of veterans and their families was exciting to me. It was a good mission. There was uh, not a lot of controversy, and uh, um, I felt good about it. Well, to wrap this up, Bill Jane, you are uh, a fascinating person and you've lived uh, through a lot of life and death and mortality and immortality. And uh, you've sort of seen it all. You've had Marines die. You've seen, been with them when they have died. And uh, you have found a, a passage in the Bible which helped lead you back to being an active Catholic. And uh, I'd like you to share that with us if you could. Well, that that day I told you about the Ghost Patrol was February 25th, 1968. And uh, years later, about the time uh, you were getting the memorial built and so on, um, reading a book about Vietnam, I came across a uh, calendar. And the calendar showed me that February 25th was actually a Sunday. And uh, at that point, I was meeting regularly uh, once every couple of weeks, once a month or so, with uh, a Catholic priest nearby. My wife had started going to the Catholic church. And uh, so I asked him at one of our meetings, I said, can you look up the um, readings for that Sunday back in 1968? And of course, this was before the internet and everything it was not easy to do something like that. But he said, yes, he could. And uh, the next time I met, 
I asked him if he was able to find the readings, and he, he said he did. And uh, the second reading for that Sunday was uh, from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 51. Um, and this is, uh, I'll read the whole section, 51 to 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable nature must put on the imperishable, and this mortal nature must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And, uh, yeah, I had left the church uh, the irreligious uh, and started trying to you know rekindle sense of faith because of my wife and uh, when uh, I heard this uh, it was uh, it, it really like a, uh, a message from God right directly to me and uh, I said okay I'm not going to fight it anymore I'm going to uh, accept it and, and learn as much as I can the message to me was uh yeah, you'd, you'd seen a lot of death, you'd seen a lot of loss. It seemed uh, um, to make no sense, but uh, just believe, be steadfast, continue to work, uh, try to help others. Uh, the, uh, you're forgiven. Uh, it's not uh, you know your fault that all these things happened. Um, let's work for others, and uh, that's the message of uh, uh, of Jesus Christ: is uh, God is love, and uh, love is to we we participate in a loop of grace. Uh, the more love we give, the more we get. Uh, the more grace we take advantage of, the more we get. Well, Bill, we want to thank you for your time today. We want to thank you for your service to the country. I want to thank you for inspiring us. Uh, with those words and uh, we look forward to seeing you in the near future.